To the West Coast, No Coast, East Coast podcast, where I, your host, Adam Schaefer, will be breaking down all the happenings in the land's best fantasy basketball league, all the while attempting to reveal none of my actual strategy. I truly did not know when I jumped back into the audio ring a week ago whether it was going to be a one off or one of many. That was until Greg Williams hit on one of the key ways to win friends and influence people. I would say I speak for everyone when I say the podcast is much appreciated and there's much more value to it than perceived. What's the easiest way to be liked? Slash to get something? Show someone that you like them. That's it. Even the most accomplished, and I'm not in this category, will melt just a little bit. Just feels nice. And because I felt nice, I felt wanted, I felt appreciated, sure, I'll dial up another podcast. And as I'm going through these thoughts, I'm thinking about the fact that this rule, which at this point I'm sure you're all with me, yep, this is obvious, you like someone, it will make them like you back, maybe not completely, but it will increase, right? If they were at a two, they're now at a three. If they were at an eight, they're at a nine. So yeah, it works. But wait, it doesn't work. Why does playing hard to get work with dating? That would seem the exact opposite of everything we've said here. You pretend you don't like someone and they like you even more. How can these two things, again, you're, you're with me on that verse. Someone likes you, you like them a little bit more. We agree. But yet you've also seen, or maybe you've done it yourself, I'm sure Greg Williams, the ladies' man that he is, has done this himself, that you show that you don't like someone, it makes them like you more. How can we reconcile this? I do not think the reconciliation comes by calling people liars. Yes, some people who say, I don't like playing games, actually do like playing games deep down. Maybe they're not even lying, they're just... They don't fully understand themselves. They're projecting what they think they want, even though it's not what they actually want. So that's not even fully a lie. And again, that's not what I'm talking about here. I'm talking about the person who honestly has great self-knowledge and says, God, I hate games and dating. And then someone who plays no games, does quite the opposite, is entirely transparent and honest. And yet that please don't play games, girl or guy, who's receiving this treatment, is also turned off by that. Two things true at once. How? I've got some theories. Number one, for all but the most narcissistic, it is natural to doubt oneself. Hence, it's great to hear compliments, as we've just discussed for the previous few minutes. However, too many compliments are a bit suspicious. Doesn't this other person know how flawed I am? Is he or she just lying to try and get something? Two, there are perks to being a big fish in a small pond, so it's common for pleasure to be derived from liking another person slightly less than he or she likes you. There is power, a confidence in this discrepancy. You're texting a little bit less frequently than the other person, and that flips. 
you go from, oh man, the other person really wants to see me, to then within the courtship process or within the relationship process, right? It's rarely that you're only on one end of this. It now flips. You feel like you're texting a little bit more. You feel like you're the one. Don't you want to do something this Friday? Oh my God, she doesn't want to do something this Friday. Why? But that's all these, these ebbs and flows are around a healthy enough middle point. If too large a gap emerges. This is an indication that something in the perception of a shared reality is off and that you might be settling for too small a fish. Now, I know I just said that you're, you're operating where sometimes you have the edge, sometimes you don't have the edge. This final point, the point of number two, is you have the edge and it gets to be so big that it's reasonable to question how you have this edge. And is it that you're just settling? Which I, I think that I'm now repeating myself. We'll move on to number three. We want what we can't have. I don't exactly know why. Sure, we could probably link this into some philosophy around the hedonic treadmill and how you adapt to whatever you have in the moment. You have the 55-inch TV, it's great for two weeks, and now I want the 60-inch TV. I got the Porsche, it was really fun for a month, and now I need the Ferrari. Something like that. Four, final thing. Endless attention can be exhausting and downright uncomfortable. I think... This is more true for girls than it is guys, just a guess. Because I there, there was a version of me, a younger version, that didn't understand what the big deal was about catcalling. I would have girls, friends, who would say, God, yeah, that's really annoying. Like, annoying? Attention? You're walking down the street and someone says you look great? That's annoying? And that was me speaking from a perspective of no one ever saying I look great when I walk down the street. It's like, how can that be a bad thing? If someone said it to me once, that would be nice. And I'm sure that it would even be true for the girl. But God, if it's incessant, and I've then seen this. Part of the reason why I've grown out of this view is just I've been around girls where I've seen it happen enough. And I appreciate the exhausting and downright uncomfortable part. Plus, and this is outside of the catcalling, more in this courtship process, ceaseless, unreciprocated attention shows a certain lack of awareness in the suitor, which is unquestionably an unattractive trait. So thanks so much for not playing games. That, I guess, is attractive. Not I guess, that is attractive. I'm someone who doesn't like playing games. Great. That's... That's a check mark for you. But there's like, but there's a long checklist. And you got this one positive, but then you got these other negatives. And the big negative here is you're just so unaware of what the hell is going on in this situation. Why did you just ask me to do something? Seven straight days, yes, you're showing that you like me. But that's just too much. So in summary, the key is to show want without coming across as wanting. That's exactly what Greg did. So that's why we have this podcast. Let's transition to basketball by imagining you have followed Greg's model, you have the date, 
You're now chatting about what makes you you, what are your interests, what are your characteristics. A very popular characteristic listed by all sorts of people is open-mindedness. I find this laughable because almost no one is open-minded and the number of people who possess this trait seems to be going down year by year. First thing you got to do if you want to be open-minded, if you are open-minded, you have to aggressively be trying to figure out if you are right or wrong about something. That is, you have to be open to the fact that your beliefs about anything are entirely incorrect. That is a painful thing. It's a valuable thing. It's a painful thing. Most people don't just opt into pain. Come on now. How do I know that people aren't doing this? Because they have very strong opinions and they cannot coherently tell you what the other side thinks. I really believe Kobe Bryant is better than LeBron James. Okay. What are the people who think LeBron James is better than Kobe Bryant? Well, what's their argument? Oh, they're just idiots. That's what you think? You think those millions of people who disagree with you are just idiots? Come on. You are many things. You are not open-minded. Another issue with open-mindedness is missing the point, not, not an issue with open-mindedness, an issue with people claiming open-mindedness, and why I think they're, I mean, they're doing it because it sounds good. Uh, they're not actually doing it in reality because we just said it's painful, but also because uh, their definition of open-mindedness seems to be more about the conclusion than about the process. And that's not what open-mindedness is. We, we brandish open-mindedness as this weapon against people who haven't reached the same conclusion as us. You don't think Kobe Bryant is better than LeBron James because you aren't open-minded. But that's not really what open-mindedness is. Everyone doesn't need to reach the same conclusion. You can be honestly interested in the possibility that you might be wrong, do some hard work there, and come to a different conclusion as someone else who was also interested in being wrong. Like, both of those people can be open-minded. One person thinks LeBron's better, one person thinks Kobe's better. They're both open-minded. Now, yes, with some topics, the evidence is so overwhelming that if you were honestly investigating it, it does seem reasonable that you would reach the same conclusion as everybody else. But I'm positing that that is, those situations are less common than we think, and when we are yelling at someone to be more open-minded, it's rarely one of those situations. We're just upset that someone didn't reach the same conclusion as us, and so we said you need to be more open-minded. So how I, the transition to basketball was not was not the Kobe uh, Lebron. Oh, oh, actually, before I, I make the full transition, full week transition into basketball, I want to linger on this point about reaching different conclusions. So there's this data set, four million words of text, 
given to 49 different researchers. Dr. Schweizenberg is running this experiment. The data is the same for everybody. Wants each of the researchers to respond to two what would seem to be fairly straightforward hypotheses. First, that a woman's tendency to participate would rise as the number of other women in conversation increased. Again, this is what the data is about. Second hypothesis, high status participants would talk more than their low status counterparts. Okay, you know, some room for interpretation, but fairly straightforward question. And yet, I mean, not and yet, you can already guess where this is going. Same data, same hypothesis, all smart people, seemingly open-minded, they probably are open-minded, that they're looking at the text, trying to prove myself right or wrong. For the second hypothesis, 29% of the analysts reported that high-status participants were more likely to contribute. Okay. But 21% reported the exact opposite. Same data. For the first hypothesis, 64% reported that women do indeed participate more. Just a simple question. Do they participate more if other women are present? But 21% concluded that the opposite was true. Now I'm just going to read um, from this Economist article. The problem was not that any of the analyses were quote-unquote wrong in any objective sense. The differences arose because researchers chose different definitions of what they were studying and applied different techniques. When it came to defining how much women spoke, for instance, some analysts pumped, plumped for the number of words in each woman's comment. Others chose the number of characters. Still others defined it by the number of conversations that a woman participated in, irrespective of how much she actually said. So I don't actually know if these people were truly open-minded. Seems like with a question like this, that some political biases could seep in. But what I do know is this. You can't simply judge if someone's open-minded or not based on the conclusion that they reach. Which brings us back to the NBA. The most open-minded person in the NBA is someone who is routinely considered to be closed-minded. People in this league, have laughed about this person. DeMar DeRozan. Ha ha, he doesn't shoot threes. So stuck in his ways. Wrong! DeMar DeRozan was willing to be wrong. Did listen to coaches, the media, the data analysts. Said, okay, you know, I don't really like shooting threes. That's my bias. That's how I've gotten to where I am. But maybe I'm wrong. His three-point attempts per year. 0. 0.2 in 2009-2010 uh, season. That's where we're starting. 0. 0.2, 0. 0.6, 1.5, 1.5. Okay, you could throw out the first two years. He was just starting... So at 1.5, it feels good there. And we're getting this, uh, this three-point revolution. Okay, 
of dimatosin jumps to 2.7, almost a 100% increase from those previous two seasons where he had found this nice home at 1.5. Tried it out for a whole season. You know what? Just doesn't really work for me. I was open to being wrong, and I don't think I'm wrong. Goes back 1.5 attempts in 1450, 1.8, 1.7. Again, tries out the idea that perhaps he is wrong. Already tried it. I mean, this is an unbelievable level of open-mindedness. Now, you could say his coaches were forcing him to do this. His teammates were forcing him to do it. Okay, that's fine. Like, that's the world that we live in, where there are other people trying to get you to see things differently, and most people will not, they won't budge. DeRozan budges again. Again, 1.5, 1.8, 1.7, jumps to 3.6 in 17-18. This isn't like I tried it for three games, ten, an entire season, 3.6. And after two times, this is now the second time, yeah, you know what, I feel good where I am. Falls down, not falls, just chooses to go down to 0 0.6, 0 0.5. He's now at 2.2. This is the most open-minded player in the NBA. Not about conclusions, about process. Okay, second random uh, hoops topic. No, we're not going to break down all the teams. We've got five topics here. Number two is this, continue with this date theme. I'm on Facebook Marketplace earlier today trying to sell this guitar amp. Never on Facebook. Anytime I log in, there's all these notifications. And I take a little peek. What's this notification? Someone had sent me a message from 2015. I don't even know who this person is. Take a look. Who is this person? Did I go to high school with this person? Check out her Instagram page and I see a thing. That uh, it kills me. This was the exact quote. Nobody will make you their priority if you don't treat yourself like a priority. Which I'm going to put it in the same basket as no one will believe in you if you don't believe in yourself. No one will love you if you don't love yourself. Nonsense. <laughs> Absolute nonsense. I cannot believe that. Okay, so maybe it... Um, and maybe this is motivating? Like you gotta get your stuff together before the world will accept you? I, just weird to lo motivate yourself on such a falsehood. Like your life has been filled with people believing in you when you didn't believe in yourself. You're 10 years old, you have no idea what your potential is and you've got adults, you have mentors and you have teachers who see that potential. They believe in you, you don't believe in yourself. You've got people you're feeling terrible who still love. This is friendship. This is love that someone is giving you the positive things that you aren't willing to give to yourself, that you're unable to give to yourself. So sure, I mean, a, a quote that's tangentially related, maybe tangentially related. Yeah, if you don't love yourself, you're not going to be fulfilled you're, uh, you know, no one else can make you happy but yourself, which even that I could probably poke some holes in. But that I get that deep down, if you hate yourself, your life's going to suck. Okay, sure. But that's not what this is.
<laughs> and so I go uh, to an NBA transition. Uh, Joel Embiid. I didn't really believe in myself until playing his first NBA game. Dude was at Kansas. Didn't believe in himself. He's getting drafted. Didn't believe in himself. Well, why? How could he possibly be drafted? How could he be in the top three if he didn't believe in himself? If you don't believe in yourself, no one's going to believe in you. If you don't love yourself, no one's going to love you. Trash. Number three, we return to the great Greg Williams. Wanted a ruling on Stockton going over the games. Made a reference to the fact that there might be a rant. There's no rant. Stockton's apologetic. He's not denying what he did. We ultimately, and this is uh, two things can be true at once, uh, number one blame goes to ESPN. How have you not fixed this feature? Come on. And yes, Stockton also deserves some blame. Both, both things are true. But we don't need a ruling here. You already solved it yourself. You beautifully solved it yourself. I would say that a culture, a community is best when you don't need to turn to the legal system. Turning to the legal system is a breakdown of that community. Think of just a tribe of 10 people. If they had such great unwritten rules, such great norms, people would just know, hey, yeah, I'm wrong. I pay the penalty. I know what the penalty is. We don't have to go to some mediator, some arbitrator. And it's nice to see that we built that same community here West Coast, no coast, East Coast, which the unwritten rule is not really unwritten. It is a rule, but you understand the rule. We've had it for several years. If you go over the game counts, we take off the players based on the start time of day. So if you go over by one game and one player started at 7 p.m. and the other one started at 8 p.m., we knock out the 8 p.m. You know this. If you have in that same scenario, you went over by one and both players tipped at 8 p.m., we're going to knock out the player who swung the matchup more. You've already done the work. I, I, I've spent zero seconds looking into it. I will trust that what you looked at was correct, that if it wasn't correct, Stockton would have said something. Someone else in the community would have said something. You don't need a judge here. So yeah, you get one extra game. That's what happens. I know you were confused about this before, but it seems like uh, before being last year, that if you were um, if you were negatively impacted, as it seems like you were, that you should have won threes, okay, then you win that category. So you've got one extra win. Stockton has one extra loss or not, you know, we reduce Stockton's win by one, we increase his losses by one, we do the opposite for you. And then Stockton also pays the penalty for going over one game over. And that will come into play, maybe, if you can make this playoff push. We want you to make that playoff push. Come on, Stockton. And Jake, where are you? Jake, can you just respond to an email? Please let us know that you're okay. So yeah, that's it. I got nothing else to say about that. Number four. Oh, you know what? I just realized we'll have six topics. Number four is about how you view this, the future and how... Even people who consider themselves to be quite pessimistic, quite negative, tend to have a bias toward positivity. Things are going to work out. Things are going to be closer to their ideal form 
than their worst form. It is this tendency, which is partially to blame for so many people coming under the 49-game threshold. Now, I think we've all caught on with just the pandemonium in the, in the NBA at the moment, but take it back a few weeks ago. You look at your roster, start of a week, 49 starts, and you count it out, and you're at 54. And so you think you're going to have to potentially bench players, certainly don't have to stream. If you do stream, it's not going to have to be that aggressive. Because look, you've got a 54 starts in there. And then you come up short. How does that keep happening? It's not just in fantasy basketball starts. It's also on the golf course. Golfer. Approaching the green. 37% of those shots land on the green. Okay, solid. That's, you could say, a, a proper prediction. It's only 37%. Green's pretty big. 40% come up short, and only 5% go long. 40% short, 5% long. Anyone who golfs would not, I, guess, I shouldn't say anyone, that's an overstatement. I know, <laughs> this one I know. I know if you asked me that before I looked at the stats, I would not have guessed the difference was that great. Hey, eh, you know, sometimes I hit it long, sometimes I hit it short. No. We are so biased, and maybe it's not even positivity. It's just confidence that you have a firm enough grasp on the world, but you don't. And so even as you have come up short, routinely come up short, even as you have routinely not been able to hit 49 games, this week will be different. Look, my roster's fine. I'm staring at 57 games started. Yes, some injuries have happened. Yes, some COVID has happened. I'm going to be fine. And then you aren't. Might want to reconsider what you are considering as the universe of possible outcomes. Quick one number five. You do not get to take credit for things you got right for the wrong reasons. So yes, I had this apology a few weeks ago about the improper calculations with the 49 starts. Now, doesn't look so bad. And 49 might be a great number. But I got that. If I, if I put the 49 starts in place at the beginning of the season because I said, you know what? There's going to be another wave, and given the NBA's testing protocols, they're going to be missing a lot of players, and so 49 starts is going to be tough to reach. Well, then I could take credit for it. And I wouldn't have apologized a few weeks ago. I would have said, hey, guys, guys, we don't get to judge this until we're through the winter. But no, that number had been reached for different reasons. It conveniently works in this current moment but not for anything I could take credit for. Final bullet for the day, a little bit of a stretch, 
This whole Kyle Kuzma thing made me think about how you want to hold people to what they actually currently believe, not what they once said. Like, you want to get it right. And so the battles that happen because, oh, I have you on camera saying this thing this one time. I have you on audio saying this one thing. I have an email from you. Is not, that's only, that's only the opening. Right? Oh, yeah, I have this thing where you said you, uh, you hate Kyle Kuzma. Hate Kyle Kuzma. So, I saw you drop him. And uh, that must be because you hate him. I've got that email from you. You said it. Yeah, but that was, that was me in the past, and I no longer hate him. So why are you holding me to something that I once believed? Why can you not give me room to change with new information as you would give yourself room to change with new information? And now, some of this is politically convenient, where someone will deny that they said something, or you don't actually believe that they've changed in the ways that they say that they've changed. I'll just remove those for a moment, because we're not, none of us are are dealing with politicians. We're dealing with actual people in our lives. And again, this is a stretch because no one was really doing this as it pertained to Jordan, but it just made me think about it. So assuming someone doesn't deny that they said the thing that you have on tape or on video, if they're earnestly telling you, yo, 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 like, I feel like that was taken out of context. Yo, 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 I don't really think that way anymore. Like, listen to them. Let them explain how they've changed. And you will know more about them. You'll know more about the world. Said, no, 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 you said that before. Like, yeah, that was years ago. What are we talking about here? As for the matter itself, especially when you have novel problems and challenges, just throw it to the community. There's no real unwritten rule for a matter because it's novel. Throw it to the community. See what they think. Get a bunch of individuals with different thoughts, you want to harness the power of that community. Lastly, really like, which, which is a continuation of the point, throw it to the community, you might get some things you never thought of. Oh, the changing the team name? I mean, the changing the team name should have it because pineapple fritters? What is that team name? Is it so deep that I'm missing how this is somehow related to something related to basketball? But even if it is, pineapple fritters? Come on.